the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today, we continue our series, Practical Faith. It is a look at a faith that practices what we know to be true of God and ourselves. A Christian's calling and his work, next on Abounding Grace. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Hi there. Welcome to our program. We're continuing our survey of Colossians. And today, we're back in chapter 3, verses 22 through chapter 4 and verse 1. This is where the Apostle Paul gets very practical about our faith, about our life in Christ. Now, we have taken a brief look at what it means to be a part of a Christian family and the lordship of Christ over the family. And over the course of the rest of this week, we're looking at a Christian's calling and his work. How do we live out our faith in the workplace? That's what we're looking at. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We saw last week that God has called us to work and to our particular place of employment. Adam, even before the fall, was called to work in taking care of the garden. There has always been a purpose for work. After man's fall into sin, as a consequence, his work became much more difficult because of God's judgment on his disobedience. But the goal of work has always been dominion. We see this in the very first chapter of Genesis, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. I want to read to you a rather long quote from Rusash Rushduni's two-volume set, Systematic Theology, and his chapter on the theology of work, to show you how a Christian is to view work. Listen carefully. Work is not an end in itself, nor is the monetary income it produces the goal. The laborer is emphatically worthy of his hire. Work and pay cannot be separated. But neither can they be equated as though there is nothing more to work than its monetary return. In other words, work is an economic fact, but it must be more than an economic fact. In any society where work is seen as simply an economic necessity and fact, there will be a decline in productivity towards the subsistence level. If men only work to eat or to play, the meaning of the goal of work soon fades away. 
As we have seen, work is a mortal fact, is, uh, sorry, moral fact to be contrasted with theft. There is another contrast. Work, true godly work, is productive, not destructive. If work is reduced to economics, then destructive forces are unleashed. Marxism, in particular, is guilty of this. They see work as an economic fact and little more. Value is also an economic fact to them. As a result, Marxist societies are retrogressive. But a man, when free from the corruption of modern humanism, will work in terms of God's calling and under God for his family, for his personal realization of his abilities and more. These are essentially non economic motives. Economies self-destruct when their motivating forces become essentially economic. God's commandment ties true work to dominion in terms of his covenant and kingdom. This is why work is a commandment and implicit in God's law. The Ten Commandments declare, six days shalt thou labor. The six days can mean work at our place of employment or at our home in household duties. And the fourth commandment thus commands rest on the seventh day and work on the other six days of the week. God, in giving the commandment to work and to exercise dominion, thereby blessed man. After the fall, man's total life, thus including his work, was placed under the curse But the curse was not work, but God's judgment on man in all his being, including work. By blessing work and dominion, God pronounced it happy, good, and fulfilling for man. As we give ourselves to godly work, we place ourselves under God's blessing, whereas work apart from God moves us under his curse Unquote. So hard work is essential to God's dominion mandate and is blessed by him. And it is always to be done for his glory and never for our own. Now, let's go back to Colossians and we'll go right down our text. It says, first of all, that employees are to obey their earthly employers in all things. Now, remember last week, we talked about the husband and the wife relationship and parent and child relationship, and I went into great detail about what that phrase, in all things, means. Wives, obey your husbands in all things. Children, obey your parents in all things. Slaves, obey your masters in all things. Employees, obey your employers in all things. Now, does that mean absolutely, so that no matter what they tell you to do, you absolutely do it? No, because we may never give that type of absolute, unqualified submission and obedience to any human being. You only give that to the Lord Jesus Christ. All other relationships that involve submission, that submission must be limited and defined by our submission to Christ. There must not be any rivals to that. It may never be compromised. 
If anyone for whom we work ever tells us to do something that would require disobedience to Christ, we must disobey them. We must disobey the husband. We must disobey the parent. We must disobey the civil magistrate. We may never disobey Christ. So what does it mean then if it says you are to obey your earthly employer in all things? Well, I said what it meant in light of what the Bible teaches throughout the New Testament. And that is that we are to do things pleasant or unpleasant, whether the employer is fair or harsh. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 and following. <clears throat> you will see this is... Uh, exactly the scenario I'm talking about. It says, beginning in verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when, we, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This favor with God, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threat, but kept entrusting to him who judges rightly. Obey your master, your employer in all things, whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, whether he is kind or whether he is harsh, whether he is unreasonable and overbearing and unappreciative, and you don't get paid accordingly. And don't go off and complain to others and mope around and attack him behind his back. So then you ask, how are you to treat a harsh, overbearing, unappreciative person that you work for as a Christian? You are to work for him as if he were kind and gentle and sweet and appreciative, and as if he nev were never overbearing or harsh. That's how you're to work for him. His actions, his thankless spirit, his overbearing attitude, those things should have absolutely no consideration by you as far as doing your job well. For you are to do your work unto the glory of God. And you are to be Christ-like. When they came after Jesus to arrest him, did he say, you're not being fair? No, he kept his mouth shut. And he did his duty, his job, what God had called him to do. Because the one thing he wanted to do above all else was to please his father in heaven. So while he was reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly. 
Also, here you have the phrase, your masters on earth. It says, obey your masters on earth or your earthly masters. Now, the point of that phrase is that there are earthly relationships that are confined to this life and that in no way may compete with your eternal master who is in heaven. In both of these texts, Ephesians and Colossians, they contrast earthly employers with your master in heaven. That your submission to your earthly masters is to various phases of this life. And don't let any of those be placed before the relationship you have with your master in heaven. For your submission to him is eternal. Then it says that employers are to obey their earthly employers, not with external service as those who merely please men. They are to obey their earthly employers, the people for whom they work, whether it be a husband, a parent, a teacher, an employer, not with external service as those who merely are pleasing men, Now, the old word for external service is actually eye service, not to serve those earthly employers with eye service as if your only purpose is to work when they happen to be watching you because your primary goal is not to please them as if you want to get a raise from them, a little more money, and you don't care about them as persons. You want to please them only so you can get something out of them. So you work, your work is of eye service. When they're not in the room, you slack off. It's only when they are standing over your shoulder that you then work diligently. That is not a way a Christian is to work. A Christian does not work with eye service Why? Because he is not to be a man pleaser. He is to be a God pleaser. And he knows that God is always looking over his shoulder. That God never is out of that room. So whether the boss is watching or not, the husband, the parent, as long as your mother is standing there watching you clean your room, buddy, you are going to clean that room. But when your mother goes to fix dinner, are you going to slack off a little? That is not the way Christians work. Then as we are told, the employees are to obey their earthly employers, whether it is their daddy or mother, whether it is the husband, whether it is the teacher, whether it is your boss where you were employed with sincerity of heart, says our modern translations. The older translations say with singleness of heart. And that phrase is similar to another old phrase, with a single eye. Now, what does the phrase with a single eye mean? It means the opposite of double vision. The opposite of doing two things at the same time. So to work with sincerity of heart and singleness of heart and singleness of the eye points to focused and undivided attention and effort. It is very difficult for someone to do two or more things at once, except for maybe you mothers. Whatever you have to do, do it with focused and undivided attention and effort. Don't let your mind wander. 
Now, you know, some people turn on a radio or an iPod to listen to music because they say that drowns out outside influences and sounds and helps a person to think more focused. I do or did that often when I owned my bakery, but sometimes listening to an iPod can distract you. And God knows whether you are lying or telling the truth, so don't fool around with God and say, well, I'm listening to the music because it blocks out all of the distractions when in your heart of hearts, it is merely a joy in the midst of doing a boring thing that you don't want to do like so many of our children do. So the point is, when you are given work to do, give it your focused, undivided attention and effort. Perform everything you've been assigned to do, all the work you've been assigned to do with singleness of heart, whether anyone sees you or not, whether you feel appreciated or not. Always concentrating on your work with undivided attention, whether you are a wife, a child, a student, or an employee. And wives, don't allow yourself, those of you who are stay-at-home moms, to be sidetracked by your computers and the Internet, etc., that you are so distracted you cannot complete your daily chores around the house. You are to give yourselves... In the time agreed upon, utterly, to the person for whom you are working for. And while you are working for that person, your time is not your own. It is his or hers. And if you do anything else for yourself or anyone else on his time, you are stealing something that does not belong to you. You have a coffee break in the middle of the afternoon for 10 minutes, but you stay 15. You have stolen time that does not belong to you. These are serious things, beloved, especially as Christians. And if you're at work as a Christian and you know a guy there that who's not a Christian, so you think, you know, I'm just going to take a few minutes today to present the gospel to him during working hours. You have stolen money from your employer. You're not being paid to witness to that guy. Take time out for lunch on your own time with your own money and then witness to him. Singleness of heart means you are going to concentrate on your work. Give yourself to it in full attention. Giving yourself to it in undivided attention. Give yourself entirely to your employer in the time agreed upon. Because when you are working for him, your time is not yours. It is his. Then the next thing our text tells us is that employees are to obey their earthly employers, fearing the Lord. In fact... There's even a stronger phrase in Ephesians 6, a parallel passage. It says, employers are to obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling. Is that the way you wives obey your husbands? Is that the way you children obey your parents? Is that the way you workers obey your employers with fear and trembling? 
And beloved, these are not my words. These are the words of God in the book of Ephesians. Well, what is Paul and God ultimately getting at here? Paul uses this phrase several times. So I'm just going to take a minute and look at some of those times and see if it can help us understand how workers are to work hard for their employers with fear and trembling. First, 1 Corinthians 2.3, Paul writes, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, preaching unto them. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, Paul speaks of Titus and he says, And his inward affection is more abundant toward you while he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Then one more in Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So fear and trembling are apparently a common trait, daily moment-by-moment trait for all those who are called of God. But our concern here is to obey our employers with fear and trembling. And these passages that I just read help us understand what Paul is saying here to employees in Colossians 3, telling them to obey their masters with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul is exhorting them to live in a state of perpetual and morbid fear of their husband or of their parent or their employer. It doesn't mean to be always trembling in fear at what your superiors might do to you. And of course, that kind of stress is going to lead to probably various kinds of illnesses. So why did Paul preach to the Corinthians with fear and trembling? If a preacher doesn't preach to his congregation, With fear and trembling, he is not really worth his salt. Well, what did Paul mean when he said he preached to the Corinthians in fear and trembling? Well, it wasn't because he was afraid of the Corinthians. And it wasn't because he was afraid of the philosophers who might be there to refute him. And he wasn't certainly afraid of the rulers who might persecute him for his preaching because Paul was afraid of no man. And he did not live to please any man. Paul's fear and trembling was in preaching that he might somehow or other misinterpret his Lord and and the gospel he has called to preach. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say the right thing in a misleading way? What if unintentionally in presenting the gospel, I lead people to believe something that's not really true? That is the fear and trembling that any good preacher is going to fill. Whenever he gets into the pulpit, he's going to preach with fear that somehow or other he might misinterpret the Lord and misinterpret the gospel that he's called to preach. And that is how Paul is regarding his preaching. So then fear and trembling in our text is the fear and trembling of misrepresenting Christ and the gospel or just simply not doing it well. So when you sit down at your desk in your office or at school or when you're at home doing whatever you are assigned to do 
or when you are on a sales call. Or when you're in the kitchen doing whatever chore you are responsible to do. If you are going to do it well, do it with fear and trembling. Concerned, you are not going to do it well. Not because you're scared of what someone may do to you if you burn the roast. Or what your daddy is going to do if you get an F. Unless, of course, you're a lazy good for nothing and you didn't study. Or what your employer is going to do if you're not able to make that sale. You want to do well because you have a master in heaven that you work for. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866. 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.